Check, check. Check, 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 check. One, two. So I want to start with this. I woke, even though this has nothing to do with this week's episode, I woke up this morning and uh-huh. this was the first thing on my mind for no reason. Horoscopes often lie. Woo! It's him and I. One episode. Hey, good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. Well, and I've tried for a long time to get rid of you out of my life. And you know what? We're just a Quemini, baby. It's you and I. Quemini. There's one up. is what it is. It's what Cypher. it is. So, so, so real quick, we're going to have a big show today. We're going different directions and getting voices that you wouldn't expect for your pun Dilla tribute. Exactly. What do like, you think? So, big pun. So, what do you think? Terror Squad. You think Fat Joe? Yes. You think Remy Ma, t- Triple Sace, Cuban Link? No. Let's let's go different, man. Everyone does that. So so we're gonna do Dead Prez. Dead Prez to talk, to talk pun, and then we're gonna get Frank Nitt from Frank and Dank, who was close since childhood with JD. Why so not? this is gonna be an incredible. Only one ep could do it kind of episode. And here's the thing about one ep. The way we do it, we you want to do hip-hop podcasts nowadays? Everybody's got one? Okay, we'll go even nerdier. That's right. But you got to help us go nerdier. How? We need a little bit of that Skrilla. That we need scratch. a little bit of that cash, that dough, that fetty, that guap, that cheese, that Cheddar. lettuce. Gouda. <laughs> we need you to subscribe to that Patreon. I'm looking you right in your eye. I know I look high. I don't smoke. This is just my regular face. I'm looking. Oh, this is not video. Just I'm looking at you. Subscribe to our Patreon. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate us. Review us. Billy help June, help us Billy help June. you. Billy June, real quick, on the Patreon, how many people we have as, as patrons? 27 or 28. And what, what? Would you say? what would you say is the average amount that the patrons are giving? What would you say? The highest tier. Ten bucks, that fourth meal. Fourth meal. Most really? people are doing are, are doing the yeah, ten. Yeah, they bucks. want the two episodes a month. Yo, so so listen, guys, we appreciate you very much. Ten bucks, that's it. What? Sorry, go ahead. Just calm down. So we know <laughs> that you have a lot of ways to spend money. We all subscribe to so many things. Yeah. Here's the thing. And Saif and I, you're thinking these guys are fine. Saif's He's got his very famous NY.com shirts flying mm-hmm. off the shelves. Flying. Which, by the way, still available right now. However, it's not even just about the money. We can't look like trash out here. Mm-hmm. We got to have mad patrons. Yeah. We can't have. So if, if listen, I get it. And by the way, if you can't afford, if you're not trying to throw the full 10, I get it. But whatever you can do to support so we can do this long term, because the truth is, we that we, we got to get up to enough money to pay this pathetic Billy June. For yeah, the work it's he's not doing. it's not the money, it's the the momentum we That's build. Right. We That's build right. that momentum. We're gonna get on a. Uh, this is I hate saying this, but we're gonna get on a bigger platform. Hey now, although I don't get know, Scythe, If my hope would be honestly, is that we completely crush it with Patreon, 
and we get to the point where it's like, yeah, we could do other stuff if we want. Okay. We're doing so well here. Uh, maybe, maybe platform is not the right thing we're searching for, but at least our own facility. Oh, that would be great. You know what I mean? Our own, our own universe. Ooh. Now, uh, we're going to dive right into all this stuff. Wait. Wait. I need two minutes. Go ahead. I saw you the other night punch a man in his balls and mm. take his clothing. What happened here? I saw you punch a man in his balls, hump him, and then take an article of clothing. It wasn't an article of clothing, Saif. It was the WWE 24-7 Championship. Okay, it was a belt. It's a title, yeah. It was a fucking accessory to an outfit. That's a good point. What's happening here? Are you some kind of champion? I was. You're already not a champion? I lost it the next day. (laughs) But I made it. I had it for 17 hours, I think. Or maybe, Uh no. I got it around, I got it around nine, I got around eight thirty or nine o'clock on how, Sunday. And how I are you eligible? What is this? The twenty four seven championship in WWE has to be defended any time. So I caught my man R Truth slipping. <laughs> yeah, and I you did what did. I had to do. <laughs> but in all seriousness, when I tell you, I, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent would be for you. It's like getting Well, tell me one... tell me what it is first and I'll give you the equivalent. Okay, so so the WWE Championship is sort of a comedic title in uh-huh. that the guy who has it most of the time it it are is our truth. It's basically he always has it then someone takes it then he gets it back. Uh-huh. And it's it, and it's done in funny ways. Like right. other silly things have happened where he's lost the title. Got it. That being said, it is officially listed as a WWE title. Uh-huh. There is a lineage to the title that's followed. Right. And it exists. And it's authentic. And they, and they sell the replica belt on the website. Mm-hmm. It's real. And so on that night, <laughs> there was this idea to do this. And I thought it would happen during the kickoff show, which I normally do. Right. For whatever reason, shit happens. And I assume it's not going to happen. And I'm like, yo, it's a dream. It would be a dream come true to do that. would be so fun. Yeah. But, like, I'm not tripping to be that guy. You know, I don't even want people to hate on me. There's some level I'm scared of the hate that's going to yeah, come yeah, from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, it's whatever. Then I find out it's not going to come up on the kickoff show. It's going to come up during the actual Royal Rumble event. In, in <laughs> retrospect, site, if I had had time to think about how much you have to get it just right yeah. to not fuck it up, yeah, and the fact that when it, as Dipperstein and, I, Dipperstein and I were talking yesterday, and he's like, do you realize everyone who likes wrestling a little bit watches the Royal Rumble? Of everybody, That's everybody huge. watches the Royal Rumble. Yeah. So... I didn't think about until it was over how much opportunity there is to fuck up this thing that's so live. Right. And if and and, and all day I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do to do it correctly. <laughs> and like I thought I already had an appreciation for what these guys and girls do. Yeah. I didn't even to do something that basic and realize that you had to put that much thought into getting it right. Yeah. And then it happened, and when I went back and watched it, 
I was like, yo, this shit looks pretty good. <laughs> like, people were critiquing certain things about it. But at the end of the day, the clip came off, I thought, as, like, funny. And, like, it worked. It worked. I loved it. I loved it. And my favorite my favorite thing about it is the clip you posted of, I guess, Smoke Dizza watching it. Yeah, Was yeah, it Smoke yeah. Dizza? I think so, yeah. And he's watching. He's, like, laughing and, like, oh, that, like, I can hear him laughing and also going... Oh, that's my boy. That's my boy. Bro, the amount I have never gotten that level of in one moment people going, holy shit. Nah, like big. people who like, here's my question. I didn't ask you this yet. Did you hear from anyone? A, a lot of people. A lot of people. And, and, and Billy June, did you hear from anyone? Yeah, I was watching it with for my friend's birthday and they were all like, oh, fuck. And then, and then he, I was watching it live. Wait, so you were? I texted Saif. Well, so wait, so Billy June. So what the fuck were you? I don't thinking know about that? Billy know June about sends wrestling. me a text. I just sit there. They say, "Stop asking questions. You're fucking dumb." I watch it the whole time. I was like, "Oh, that's Pete. That's Pete." Then all of a sudden, I see you on there, and my friends were like, "What the fuck?" And then I was just so confused. I was like, "What just happened?" <laughs> Yo, Saif, it was so satisfying that by the time Tuesday came around and it was starting to calm down, I felt a legitimate, like, Like relief, right? No, and withdrawal of of all the validation I'd been getting. I was so... Twitter, Instagram, text message, articles, like there yeah. was so, you know, that shit affects me. <laughs> and I, I, I'm glad I've gotten to a point in my life now where I can recognize, oh, you're feeling it calm down yeah that's great aware that's that's great what how did it get taken away i was doing the michael k show from tampa the the next day and our truth climbed in my balcony (laughs) and pinned me in the middle of the michael k show and took it back you haven't seen that clip no he he throws me all over the hotel room (laughs) Hold on, I'll, I'll play you a little. Oh God! I'll play you a little snippet of it. It's really, it's actually sad and alarming. What was happened. there a referee? Yeah, he brought a referee. <laughs> there always has to be a referee. Yeah, you can only do it. It can happen anywhere, but you need a referee there. So otherwise, here you go. Twenty-four hours. It's on my way to, to me because it, it almost seems like you were scheming. I mean, I, I watched some of the the video of it. Almost. So you've been scheming about this for a long time. Well I, well, I see this guy. Our truth shows up to every one of our kickoff shows. My name wrong. And then I signaled to said ref moment, got the referee. You realize here, here what go. coming in behind you, bud. You realize what you're dealing with and the sort of level of play. We're talking hey, about Peter, an all-star. Peter, Peter, yes. Do, uh, yeah. do you have a balcony? I do. <laughs> I, I think there's somebody coming in behind you, bud. Yeah. <laughs> you look. Scythe, look up. All no, right. I'm telling you, there's somebody behind you, Peter. Like, I didn't see anyone. <laughs> be, be, be very careful. Yeah, be very careful, man. Somebody again. No, there's definitely somebody behind you, Peter, brother. Peter, watch out. Yeah. You know whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, Oh, my goodness. I think it's title's on the line. This is not good. Oh, is he going to be able to hold this until next week? Oh, no. One, two, three, see ya.
Garcia. That's it. Rosenberg has lost a 24-7 championship. <laughs> what is your life, yo? What is your life? <laughs> what is my life? And, and the best part, as I love how I have to drag people into the, uh, the whole thing. Now Michael has to be calling a wrestling match. <laughs> now, naturally, oh when I showed up God. to Hot 97 the next day, do, do you think I was... Do you, do you think Ebro celebrated me on the on the morning show, or do you think he had some bizarre theory instead? Do you want me to speak from experience? Sure. I'm going to go with bizarre, hurtful theory. I'm going to go with. I'm going to throw hurtful in there. So, Ebro gets on the air and makes the entire thing about how on Black History Month I <laughs> stole something from a black man. <laughs> The whole day. the whole, Yo, to the point of being like, yo, black people, call up right now. Do you think Rosenberg violated by stealing something? Uh. First of all, I was like, I was like, Ebro, first of all, it was January 31st. Oh, God. And every, Shawnee was like, I don't know. It was. But in general, with the, with the exception of that bizarre experience. Hey, so your phone is still playing in the background. Oh. With the exception of that bizarre experience, yeah, uh, everyone was so excited and it was fun, man. Well, it was, congrats, it was man. Thank you. I'm I, I, I was happy for you. Just I know you love that stuff. And oh, so what's watching. the equivalent now? What do you think's the equivalent? Oh, uh, I don't, there's no there's no titles in comedy. I so know. would it be like getting to come out at at? something it's like it's such a unique sort of thing to qualify because like for an athlete it's like oh you dreamed of being in sports your whole life and they let you suit up for one game right you know it's hard like during during a during a monologue during snl you come out and say something to like i don't know so i'm trying to think the, of the the when michael che hosted the emmys there was a, a there was a slight chance there was a conversation about me DJing the Emmys a part of the Emmys with him that would there have been go. that would have been a good one that that's that's what that I would have been there was a, there was talks of like hey maybe you could come out at this part with me and like DJ some part you know and it didn't happen well guess what Saif your 24-7 moment is coming and I will be there and I won't accuse you of any sort of weird racial already, tactics my 24-7 moment is here because one, we have amazing listeners, we have patrons, subscribe to the Patreon, and we have the episode of life, which is about, unfortunately, death. That's right. Jay um, Dilla, big pun, rest in peace. So let's get right to it. Let's start this with the Jay Dilla conversation with uh, a guy who is best friends, uh, worked with him, an artist. Let's bring Frank Nitt of Frank and Denk on the show. All right, Cypher, so we decided we should probably just do this every year, and I, I always celebrate this in some way, either on my, my show, and this year we're great. it's great because we have the, the podcast back, but, you know, um, there's always the anniversary of Pun's death and the birthday of Jay Dilla, and I was like, how can we do something different? Because as our listeners know, Sife is not a Dilla head, but as the years have gone on, you've learned <laughs> and you've delved more in. Correct, Sife? I've. I, I want to be clear about this. You're I mean, clear. no disrespect whatsoever. I am a a, a regular hip hop fan of what Dilla does. I am not one of those hardcore 
Dilla fanatics, right. which, which in general, sometimes people take as disrespect. I love the his beats. His music was fire. I'm just not that fucking nutcase fan. You understand the difference? No, and there is a difference. I don't want no drama. No. Well, you wouldn't want any because today uh, I'm really excited to talk to this guy. You may know him from many joints um, like, you know, this, for example. Um, You know, Dilla had a a group called Frank and Dank. Yeah. um, Who's 12 inches. I started buying... I don't know, around 2000, something like that. I'm sure Frank Nitt can give me the exact dates. But it was around 2000, yes, 99, 2000. Frank is Frank of Frank and Dank, a.k.a. Frank Nitt. Frank Nitt all the way from Denver. <laughs> <laughs> Denver, I wish. I mean, I'm in crazy Cali where, uh, you know, where uh, you're supposed to wear a mask, but they don't because the sun out. So <laughs> oh, I gotta ask you this before we even get into the the, the life and legacy of your friend James Yancey. Yeah. Let me ask you about California. I feel like everybody I know, and I'm talking about progressive, seemingly responsible people, mm. and really not resist like hanging out with other people. Like they seem incapable in my limited conversations. Am I wrong? Uh, it's it's tough out here, man. Like me, it's cool. Like this whole pandemic thing, I was a house dude anyway, so uh-huh. <laughs> you know it ain't much change for me. But uh, the sun, man, the sun and the beach, it makes it really tough to say no to outside. And yeah. you know, like, like you know, I'm from Detroit, where it gets cold and it snows, and here, even on Detroit. Oh, I thought yeah. the D on your hat was for Denver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. an idiot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. But anyway. But I'm yeah, kidding, Frank. Down. I'm kidding. So so, so it's hard to come out here. I mean, to, to stay in the house here. So now yeah. people getting busted for uh, mansion parties, uh, pool parties, you know, the bonfires on the beach with 63,000 people. <laughs> so, you know, it's tough, though. I understand. No, I get it. Somebody, uh, somebody tried to book me for to DJ on the beach this party that they do, mm-hmm. and I they were showing me videos of the past events, and I was like, um, <laughs> when are these past events from? <laughs> well, like a week, like a week ago, like right. two weeks ago, and I'm like, nobody's wearing masks, everybody's hugged up. Yeah, I'm like, this is allowed, and they're like, no. <laughs> yeah, dancers. I- well, maybe, maybe it's allowed for people who love music. I don't know. I don't know, bro. I'm in the house. I stay. I stay in the crib, bro. I'll be at the crib trying to work. How long, um, Frank? How long have you been out in in California? Oh man, this is year from years 11? ago. Eleven. Year eleven. Year eleven. Yep. Because I was here for four years, and then I, I, I called myself visiting Detroit to see my mom and family and everything, and then Dilla's mom ambushed me at the house and made me work for her. So I stayed in the D for a year before I came back out here. Shouts to so, Ma Dukes. Shouts to Ma Dukes. Um, yeah, man. So, so you didn't come out there originally, though, when Dilla came out around, what, 2000? 2003. Well, at 2003, 2004, uh, he came out. No, me and Dank were in Canada recording an album. We had just did a deal with a, a Canadian mm-hmm. label and uh, Universal Canada there. And we were there doing, recording a record when he moved out here. In so, Windsor? This was 2003, 2004. Late 2003, early 2004. 
But was it Windsor, Canada, right across the border from Detroit? Oh, no, Windsor. Oh, no, no. We were in Toronto. Four mm. hours away. Four hours away, yeah. Hop, I know the, the drive. Yeah. All my, all my Detroit friends are dudes that I met at Carabana because all the Detroit dudes drive to Carabana in Toronto. Yeah. It's like a four-hour drive. Let's party. It's, it's, it's so quick. <laughs> it's so quick. It's a straight shot, and you there. Yep. So, yeah. Straight shot. Yep. Yeah. When did you, when did you meet J.D.? Uh, 1986. 1986. So y'all were like 12 years old? 12. I was, well, he's a few months older than me. So he was 13. I was 12. And what, what, it was in school? Yeah. Yeah. We met, um, because I moved into the neighborhood, uh, the year of 86 for sixth grade. So, uh, when I got there, that's when we met all at school. But like, which, which uh, mile was that? Which mile? Seven miles, seven miles. Good mm-hmm. question, Sife. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Seven miles. I'm dropping all my miles. Detroit knowledge. Yeah, Detroit knowledge, right now. We six to seven miles. Yeah. And and uh, how into the music already was young JD at you know 12, 12 and a half years old? Um, into music, listening, singing. You know, he was you know church choirs with the family and and this and that, and you know had a love for music. Obviously, both his parents were musicians, singers. Uh, so, but he hadn't grabbed the hip hop completely just yet. At that time, mm-hmm. we were all breakers, hip hop dancers. So that's kind of where we bonded as dancers first. So, and then mm, not even a year later, he was making beats and, and it was over. <laughs> that was history. What was he, point. what was he messing with at the way beginning? What was the, what, do you remember the machines? Um, at the very, very beginning, there was no machines. It was dual cassettes. It was uh, two dual cassette decks. And uh, he would do what they call pause and record beats, uh, where you would have to, you know, record sections of the beat on each tape. And then the final tape would record the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you get one yep. beat. And it was, it's crazy difficult to do it. But this is, this is to the genius of Dylan. He would, uh, one day, because it was like up in the attic at his house. And, you know, we were... 13, 14 year old kid, right? So one day I come to the house and we upstairs and he messed around with the beast. And I noticed that one of the cassette decks was, was torn apart, right? Like the top was off and just all undone, right? And you can see all the internals. And uh, I'm like, what's going on? He was like, oh man, I needed to figure out a way to speed up my samples or slow my samples down. So he, wow. tore, he tore the cassette deck apart and found the idler screw so he could slow the tape down and get his you know, samples slow or speed it all the way up and get his samples so he could get his samples right for his beat. So, wow. yeah, no, he's always been very, when he locks in in something, he's locked in. So wow. that was early on. And then uh, he got like a like one of the old little cheap little four-pad drum machines when he was probably about 14 or 15. That was like his first, like, machine. Mm. And then from there, you know, it was – uh, Ant Fiddler put him on about with the MPC 60, and then you know, from there it was the SP 1200, the S950, the 3000, it's all over the place. Siphon, we always talk about who were like the people in hip hop who were like, How are you capable of showing up to the park and, and plugging into the lamppost? <laughs> Dilla, Dilla is the kid who would have, had he been like another seven years earlier, he would have been the yeah. kid capable of plugging into the lamppost. Yo, yes. The, um, yes. The Questlove told me a story mm. about a Dilla, a Dilla beat. He, he took some soul record and made an instrumental version of it by chopping up 
half the snare in one part and then the second half of the snare in another part mm-hmm. and like the bass line was like from 50 different pieces and he just comp- like took like a let's say like a Isley Brothers record yeah and not not made a beat out of it basically made an instrumental so version of the song and he's like there's no instrumentals this was like just a song that was just had vocals and he basically all night long pieced it together to make an instrumental with all the changes Mm -hmm. and all the fucking arrangement and i was like wow this guy was yeah no incredible you know now that i i can look back on it i feel like you know i guess i was super uh lucky or blessed or whatever the situation was to like be his homeboy and kind of be there and watch him work because he wasn't a person to like people watching him work per se. Right, right. So, like, but I was lucky. And it's like to that point of him being very tedious and very like on it, he uh he would like go record shop, right? I hated record shop, right? Because you know, I wasn't a producer digger type of guy. I was more of a right. rapper, whatever guy. So yeah. I hated digging, but I had to go, right? Like, so he would go digging, and then once he would get all his records, go back to the crib, when he wanted to start making beats, he would take like a, like whatever random record that he had bought and just put it on and, and, and let it play. And then he would go clean up the studio, dust all his records and do all these different things, right? And the record would just be playing in the background. And when it got to the end, he'd take it, flip it over and go back and clean it up. Later on, when he's ready to make a beat, he'll take that same record put it on and drop the needle where he want. Like he heard that record and understands where everything is from a distance. He wasn't there with right. it. Like, wasn't even paying attention. No, no, like. he's doing something else, occupying his mind, but he heard everything that was there and can go right back to it. Maybe one, one, two drops and he got what he was looking for. Oh, I want this part right here. And even that, I watch him listen to records and pour over a record. And for me, I'm hearing the same record over and over and over and over again. And he keep telling me, nah, Frank, there's somewhere in there that it's a part that I need that's, you know, a one second little thing that's the turnaround for this beat I'm making, but it's covered by vocals. But somewhere on this record, I'm going to find it without the vocals on top. And he'll do it. And he'll do it. He'll sit there for hours and dissect it down to nothing. So, yeah, it's it's real. Them stories is real, for sure. So, now, as you tell a story... It, the the nostalgia of it is beautiful, but I'm positive you were sitting in that studio annoyed as fuck, like listening to the same shit. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing about studios; people don't realize it's like it's kind of boring. It's oh, like just the same shit over and over. Yeah, if you ain't in the process of creating something yourself, yeah, sitting there is like, whoa, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> mm. Um, so were you already rapping at that point? Like, did you guys do any other attempts at groups before he found Slum Village and that was the direction he went? Were there mm-hmm. other versions of, of groups among you guys? Um, yeah, uh, like, you know, he started off as MC Silk, right? Like, he was MC a solo, baby. Uh, he was a solo, you know, solo artist. Uh, I was in a group called Mad Skills prior. Um, and... And then there was a moment when it was kind of in between Slum, where it was just kind of me and him. Like Dank, Frank and Dank came after Slum and all that. Like Dank mm-hmm. was Dank. His his full name was President Dankworth. So, because he was the only person that smoked at the time, right? So, uh, <laughs> Frank and Dank was kind of 
the idea of T3 and Jay Diller, right? Uh, so that came after. Before, there was a time where Diller was solo. I wasn't in the group. And we were kind of just, we would spar, basically. He would make a beat in 20 minutes. We had 30 minutes to uh, write raps. And that's how we practiced until the slum thing came about, right? And then that kind of mm. shifted it off. So, so when did T3 and Baten kind of show up in the in your guys' lives? Um, ninth grade, eighth, ninth grade. Well, ninth grade for me would have been tenth grade for Dylan. So, uh, yeah, around that time. So around uh, 88, 89, 90. And and again, just a school thing. They just show it was just people meeting in school, and this was just well, yes and no because Dylan went to another school. Right, uh, he was at a different high school than me, Dank, Batin, T3, Wajid. We all went to the same high school, Persian high school. Uh, so they actually heard about Dilla because he was getting like you know the buzz. Because at the time, as y'all would know, <clears throat> well, maybe not for y'all, but for us, like it wasn't the cool thing to be a hip hop kid. Do you understand? It right. wasn't like right, like now, it, where we come from. This this music hip hop thing is like a viable way out, much like yeah, a yeah. basketball or something like yeah, that, not, or going to school, not back then. That type of thing. But back then, yeah. that that wasn't a viable way out. So you can't, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, it was. It's hard to explain it, but the we had a different like, just trying to come up and be around. We were somewhere in the middle. We was cool kids, but hip hop kids too. <laughs> so it's kind of we was in a weird place back then. Yeah. No, that's what it was. That's what it was back then. The, the, the I'm assuming, and mm -hmm. I could be wrong. I hope I'm not racist. I'm no. assuming you're talking about some street activities. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Let's and, just say that. Let's just say and, that. And yeah, like it, it's the same mentality from those neighborhoods where like. You know, you're doing what you want to doing what you got to do to survive mm. and to get out. But the music is still part of it. Yeah. Now, because of what you guys did back in the day, and I'm talking about, you know, all you old motherfuckers um, <laughs> made it. You took what y'all were doing. And I'm, I mean, I'm old, too, but you took what y'all was doing and then funded the music. And then the music became a way out. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like, but like, like when we talk about those days, like the rappers weren't cool. No. You know what I'm saying? They had to be around a lot of cool people. Like everybody, uh, Rakim was not cool. No, 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 no. The drug dealers that he hung with was the cool. Everybody guys. on the back, <laughs> everybody on the back of the album cover, those were the cool kids with the cars and the jewelry. And I'm mm. sure none of those chains were actually Rakim's. I'm sure they were like, here, wear this for the photo shoot. For the look. You know yeah. what I mean? And then... And then it became cool. Right. But it had to go we were, through that. Again, we walked that line because, you know, we were connected to both sides. We yeah. wasn't street guys. You know what I'm saying? We was music guys. But, yeah. like, everybody around us, the homeboys, you know, yeah, yeah. is on some street. But the beauty yeah. of it was they allowed us the space to go and be those yeah. guys. You know what I'm saying? Y'all yeah. go do that. And, yeah, and it's a, that's a whole nother to the show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast we got to right. do Rosenberg yeah, one like day. Diving like into just those like, relationships and how that worked. It's, yeah. it's, it's, they, 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 it, it wouldn't be possible without those guys. No, not at all. Not at all. They, they, they definitely created space 
for music guys. They created, they funded. Yeah. They, they, they created uh, they, uh, safety. Safety. Like, yeah. We'll watch over you while you go do this. Um, mm-hmm. So where was Dilla in that world? I mean, I mean, most of us was definitely leaning music side. You understand? It wasn't yeah. like, you know, we grew up in, in, in Detroit, in the hood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it's yeah. gunshots and all types of things. But we also have very good, solid family units. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. while we rubbed elbows, we didn't have the the need to jump in. And again, back right. then it wasn't cool to jump in. You understand? Right. You yes. did that out of necessity. And necessity, then if you yeah. came up, then you was the cool guy. You and get you, what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, yeah. So right. we it wasn't you jumped in because you had to, not because no choice. it was just yeah. the thing to do. You get what I'm saying? So uh we had good solid family structure, me, mm-hmm. Dilla, and Dank and, and most of us in our little clique. So it was a lot easier yeah, you can tell by the stay. music yeah it was a lot easier for us to stay away from the things that would have changed our trajectory per se you know yeah. what i'm saying but we didn't live in a fantasy land reality is that you know the, my homeboy even though he's my homeboy is on the other side yeah he might not show up here tomorrow you understand so it yeah. was always we were right in the middle of it if that makes any sense. And I mean, you hear it in the music from the, you know, strip club songs and all that. <laughs> well, that, I was going to ask you, though. So when does JD, you know, music nerd, you know, guy who just loves this, when did he also fall in love with sort of the strip club culture? Because every story I've heard from every artist, basically, who went to spend time with JD was like, yo, we're going to go to the strip club. Mm. He might go post up there for hours and eat and do his thing. And like, that was a big part. And it's in the music too. Yeah. Um, you know, he has a lot of, uh, a lot of records where he talks about sort of the mixed, how he understood, he seemed to understand that he was an anomaly and that he was this, you know, sound of the underground who loved ice and, and strip clubs. So mm-hmm. when did that start becoming part of his life? Um, Early, early, you know, as soon as we could get in, you know what I'm saying? Like and in Detroit, you know, there's a, there's an underground scene of, of, uh, let's say strip club activity. Go on. That you don't necessarily have to be 21 to get into. Mm. Right. So from, you know, 18 year old, 17 year old kids, when we were able to get out and be on our own, that, that was part of it. You understand? That's just mm. part of Detroit life. Again, Music nerd, yes, but his name was MC Silk because he had a closet full of silk shirts and he wore a different mm-hmm. color silk shirt to high school every day. You understand? So <laughs> it wasn't, you know, I, I was, you know, and I got senior pictures from high school in, you know, $400 Kooji sweater. So it wasn't, we still had access to what was cool and what, you know, what was popping. So there was always it, that duality. It was always, it was always, it was always there. You understand? Like, and yeah. the strip club was just an extension of that. You know, uh, once the money came in, it's what What do you do? Like, what in, in Detroit, what do you do where, as a music guy, you can feel a, a level of comfort and safety, but as a dude who like, you know, uh, big old booties and, 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 and strip club music and weed and that vibe, how do you blend the two? And I think that he was... 
he was right there. He found that like kind of balance where, where it made sense. Now his mama blames me for it all, <laughs> but it's not true. I was with him. She uh-huh. was with me. I was uh-huh. with him. He was older than you. He was slightly older than you. Yes, he was. He was a few <laughs> months older than me. Yes, it was his fault. I blame him. She blamed so me. So he bro. he threw you under the bus? <laughs> no, no, he didn't. His mama did. <laughs> his mama, my dude say, Frank, it's all your fault. Because, you know, I was the one that was there. You get what I'm saying? And, and Dill ain't, oh. yeah, yeah. And Dill ain't a big, big on words guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, he wasn't a big take action guy. So, back then, I was like the mouthpiece. Like, we getting, in, you want to go do that? Okay, let me go over here and talk to these people. We about to do that type of thing. Well, that's so. one of the things that's interesting to, about Dylan to me is that he didn't seem to be a super talkative guy. There's not a ton of interviews you know, he reminds no. me in some ways, um, you know, Saif, he reminds me in some ways from a, from a distance of Kev Brown, you know, who I worked mm-hmm. with for years of, of like really a homebody producer who that, that's really his default place to go. Are, is there another version of the Dilla story in which because of that, because he wasn't going to be out there talking about himself constantly? Mm-hmm. this maybe doesn't all happen like are you surprised in some ways that the tape getting to q-tip sort of led to everything happening um i guess yeah i guess that was kind of like a shot in the dark with the q-tip thing because i mean you know Ant fiddler wasn't in parliament at the time that Aunt Fiddler started helping us and letting us work in his studio and this type of thing. You know what I'm saying? That kind of came after the fact. Mm. So him being in the position to be touring with Parliament and be on tour with Tribe and have T3 and, and Dilla come to the show in Detroit and put them on the bus with Tribe, you know what I'm saying? After he had played them some Slum Village stuff oh. and make that thing happen and then for Q-Tip to meet those guys, hey, yo, who making these beats type thing. And then for all that to happen, like, I don't know that you could have ever written that script. You understand? Because Sorry. a lot of things had to happen before that actually got Sorry, I, I, as as a naive person, just can you say that one more time? What's the parliament thing? Who's that person? Ant Fiddler uh-huh. is, was a part of the parliament uh, band. Uh-huh. And he's a musician, uh, incredible keyboardist, just all around great musician, right? And, right. And, and, and he's from Detroit? And he's from Detroit. And okay. the first studio we started working in as kids was Amp Studio. And oh, he actually okay. taught it. Dilla Got it. the MPC 60. Wow. He was the first one to show Dilla that. And then Dilla took that and, you know, kind of ran yeah. with it. Uh, so Amp worked, well, was part of the Parliament Band. And they were on the Lollapalooza tour with Tribe, right? And they all wow. came to Detroit. And when they came to Detroit, Amp uh, had the boys come out and they drove up there to the to the show and after you know they got backstage and they got on Tribe's bus and, and that was just because he liked them from being in the neighborhood working in the studio yeah, like he, he like a little, like an OG kind of thing yeah he's he's our OG to this day right you know what I'm saying right. and yes he he helped all of us in you know the best he could he didn't it wasn't about money but he had equipment he had a studio yeah and, you know. And we can come over and pay our little 20 bucks, 30 bucks, so he can, right. you know, so we can have the day in the studio type of thing. So, right. And, and again, he gave us access to learning new equipment and things of that nature. So, uh, yeah, it was him that actually put Slum, Slum's music in front of Tribe 
And wow. then Tribe Q-Tip took that and said, okay, deal. I don't know what I'm doing with you, but we're going to do something. We're going to do something. And, do and, something. It, and it went off. You know what I mean? And when was that? When was that? Well, pre-Beats Rhymes in Life. So 94? Think, yeah, 94. 94, 95? So Beats Rhymes in Life is the first that we hear of Dilla, or mm -hmm. at the time, JD, with Tribe and Q-Tip. With Tribe. Okay. But before right. that, the Far Side Running had came out, the Lab Cabin, California, uh, yeah. and, and the Mad Skills record came out. So I think those were the two records first. So how did the how did the far far side run in? That's around the same time. Does that still come after the tribe meeting, or did that come from another route? Also? No, that was that. It's funny because on, on Dillafest, I, I I got uh, the owner of Delicious Vinyl on there, Mike Ross, and he tells the story about that how how he heard Dilla's beats, and it was because uh, Far Side was in New York working with Tip. And Tip had just started messing with Dilla, and Dilla was there in the studio. Oh, and, really? And oh, so because it, so so Dilla meeting Q-Tip, we didn't hear Dilla tribe until Beats Rhymes in Life, but Q-Tip led or helped get the the Far Side yeah. record out first. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, then, and then Dilla ended up doing all that delicious vinyl. He, there's a brand new Heavies record. There's like a bunch of delicious vinyl stuff there. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And wow. you know, he, you know, and he and Delicious Vinyl. I mean, we've done because I work with Delicious Vinyl and and uh, and Dilla's mom. We've done music with Delicious Vinyl. You know, recently, as far as you know, posthumous things with me and his brother Illa J. We did the Sunset Boulevard record. Uh, you know, we put out some some you know Lost Scrolls singles and different things like that with Dilla. And we also do uh, J Dilla merch at Delicious Vinyl now too. So, uh, yeah, man, you know, Delicious Vinyl got a rich, rich history. My first trip mm -hmm. with Dilla to Cali was to come work on an India Davenport record with Delicious Vinyl mm, wow. in like 95, 96. Wow. Dope, so, dope, so there's dope. Run In, there's Drop, uh, there's the um, Busta Records. The Busta Records. Uh, I mean, it, it was so much stuff in that time. Uh, and things didn't come out. Like, you know, it was a lot. Yeah, then it just all started rolling, you know, and then he, he did the two, there's two Busta, there's two Wuha remixes. Mm -hmm. um, and then like we start getting into the, everything starts going. Now, when does Detroit, at this point, is Detroit fully taking notice? And like, I'm curious to what artists that we're familiar with from Detroit history, mm -hmm. do you recall having run-ins with at that time or maybe Dilla working with or talking to at least about working with? I'm saying, uh, you know, like proof, rest in peace, proof. That was the homeboy. You understand? Like we came up proof. next for all, right? Yeah, yeah. Proof was the mayor. He was the mayor of it all. You know what I'm saying? Like I've I've only met him one time, and it was way back when he was recording the Infinite EP with, and I met him with Proof. You understand? Wow. So wow. Uh, and I mean, but the other guys, Bizarre and and and, and, and you know, the Nine. Those, you know, we were all on the same scene. Like the hip hop shop, which was what uh, Maurice Malone's clothing store, right. uh, Proof ran it. And we right. would do like right. a Saturday hip hop shop, like Cypher, open mic night. And, you know, we had mm -hmm. everybody come through there. I mean, Proof had everybody come through there from, you know, Busta Rhymes and different artists. Uh, and of course, all the local talent from 
Elzai to Slum to Waji to, you know, D12 to M. Like one of Frank and Bank's first shows early on was on a show with M at another night Proof had. There was like an open mic night. Mm. And, and you know what I'm saying? That was one of the first times we actually performed was at Proof's uh, Ebony Showcase and M was on the bill that night. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, uh, nah, the, the, it's very connected. So were, a, were, were M and Dilla, um, at, did they ever have conversation? Like, do you know of a time when they ran into each other specifically? Of course, of course, of course. Because uh, 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 Paul, M's manager, mm-hmm. used to have a studio in Pontiac before, right? Before he became, you know, the guy we know now, right? right. So uh, then this is pre-Paul going to college and everything. Wow. Like, Paul used to he used to be a rapper. <laughs> right, right, right. His rap, his rap name was Paul Bunyan, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, Paul Big, right? Like, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we uh like you know he he was around and we everybody in you know our little crew would go up to Pontiac and use the studio from time to time and Paul was on the scene and when he went to college he said you know what I'm going to law school and I'm gonna come back and be everybody's lawyer <laughs> right mm-hmm. and it kind of you know so yes there was <clears throat> Paul and M used to go by Dillis Crib like early on but this is early 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 you give it years ago this is years ago years ago so, years ago um, years ago no nah, we all kind of mixed and mingled in one way or the other. Like, you know, Slum, again, D12, and actually D12 was a little later, but Slum and Proof and M, and, like they were kind of in one lane. And then all of the things that kind of came off of them from like Royce, like Royce and us, we were all had deals at the same time. You get what I'm saying? So we, when we was doing the Frank and Bank album, we was going to Studio A in Detroit. And I swear to you, we would go during the week and Frank and Dank and Dilla would do sessions from nine to five, and then Royce would come in and do sessions from five to whenever he left. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so we've always kind of blended together and mixed and mingled and different people on different tracks. We all, you know, got songs here and there. Like, so yeah, it was always a, a mixing and mingling. It wasn't always about work per se, but we were in the same because again, hip hop wasn't what it is today. Right. So yeah. We had places that we went to and that we hung out, and yeah, you run into everybody. I mean, it's crazy because if people had had, you know, when you're in a local scene and everyone's trying to do the same thing, you're not necessarily all trying to work together. You're just friendly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. With, the, if, with hindsight, you know, we could have had a friggin' Eminem JD album. If people were able to see, like, yo, you know, be yeah. real, you know, is if we came together and did a joint. Like, history could be completely, completely different. As we know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when did, uh, when did JD go? Was he? Did he always go by Dilla? Also, because I, I was gonna ask that. Well, because no. I remember, uh. I remember firmly as a fan, mm-hmm. and now I feel like Frank. I feel like one of the few at this point, you know, who was a true fan prior to his death. You know, because mm. Dilla is one of those guys who was wildly appreciated while he was alive, but by a much smaller sphere. Yeah, so, I, I, he, I feel like. Uh, I feel like he um he's one of those guys who were he, he made an impact on his peers first and was heralded inside the industry, which means yep. it, it allowed him to work and do the things he wanted to do that would later get to the people. But mm-hmm. I think he was um and you know, as an artist, if I speak an artist first, I think that's what you want. You want your peers to say you're great. The people, that'll come. You know what I'm saying? So 
I think uh, part of his success and part of his being able to be relevant was because his peers held him up. You know what I'm saying? Because, yes, you know, people don't have a, a problem acknowledging his greatness as they see it. You get what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. I think that early on in the industry, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, again, Frank was there for most of it. You get what I'm saying? So you got to understand my view is Erica Badu comes to Detroit to work on a record because Dilla don't want to leave Detroit. He want to work at home where it's comfortable. So Erica Badu comes and, you know, it's, it's Erica Badu. You understand? Yeah. So she comes, yep. she got security and, and the baby and the nanny and all of that. And guess what? Frank is going to have to go pick her up because that's that was my <laughs> position at the time as, <laughs> as the right-hand man. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. Frank, take the rover, go pick up Erica, bring her back to the studio so we can work. Okay, I'm going to go pick up Erica. <laughs> but understand, <laughs> when I get to pick up Erica, I expect it to be, you know, Security, but no, Erica told everybody they can't go. I'm going to the studio to work with Dylan. Security, stay home. Nanny, take care of the kid. Blah, blah, blah. So much so that the security had to pull me aside and give me the strong face and put his hand on my shoulder and say, take care of my girlfriend. Don't, you know, like he squoze that shoulder real tight. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> any problems, bro? I know who to look for type of thing. So, uh, yeah. you know, so my view of it is his peers respected him and, and said, okay, we see what we see, so we gonna come to you. You don't wanna come out here? Cool. So we had everybody in the crib. That's big, man. That's greats, big. Greats coming to the crib in his mama's basement. You understand? Working. And was the basement nice? No, no, was it, it wasn't no <laughs> done up. It was a daycare during the day, bro. <laughs> from listen, we worked from six p.m. to six a.m. because the daycare ran from six a.m. to six p.m. Wow! You know even in saying? the even in the heyday when Erica was coming and yes. all that. Yes, yes. <laughs> would, would he cover his equipment? Uh, no, because Mama would kill a kid if they went over there. <laughs> no, no, no. But but no, it, no. I mean, you know, they had it because it was upstairs in the house, and then they had an area downstairs. But that area was lined with his record collection, and then he had a corner that used to be a bar area, and that's where everything sat. So the kids didn't go over there. Is his stuff still in the basement or no? No, no. That house, man, I, if I had the money, I would go cash that house out right now and make it a museum. Uh, but uh, no, his equipment is, is is all over the place. Like his brother got most of his major big stuff. Illa J. Illa J. And that's in the D. And then, you know, obviously bits and pieces in the Smithsonian and different things like that. So. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So That's... when did it change to Dilla? Let's get that part. Let's get that because he was JD when we started like sweating this dude's music. He was definitely JD. He was JD because he was John Doe before, right? That's he started as John Doe, and then it moved to JD. And honestly, he was thinking about trying to figure out changing his name because of Jermaine Dupri, because hmm. even though he's Jermaine Dupri, everybody called him JD. So right, when right, people say yeah. JD, the first thought they had was Jermaine Dupree. Obviously, he had the biggest hits, and you know what I'm yeah. saying at, at the time. So, so he was already thinking about trying to figure something else out. And it was Common who named him Dilla. Mm. It was Common who came up with the nickname Dilla. And, wow! And it kind of stuck, and that's what he then he said. You know what? Was it just a was it just a nickname? Like yeah, that's... it was just a nickname. It was just a nickname. It was just something like hey, what's up, Dilla? Like yeah, that's like, the thing about the hood. Yeah. The hood is like, 
your nickname gets a nickname. Yeah, of course, of course, <laughs> of course, of course. No, no, he uh, because you know they would short it up, J. They call him J or J D or just D. And one time, you know, common with his slavery, yo, Dylan, and it, it stuck. It stuck. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's just so interesting because now that is how he's known. You know, yeah. he, he is one of he's one of the most iconic producers and sort of you know artists who have we've lost that yeah. exists you know he's he's all the way up there and the way he's known is as jay dilla mm-hmm. and i always just find it so interesting because you have the new cats who came along later who yeah. all refer to him as dilla and mm-hmm. i still think of dilla as being the cool way of saying his name when he was still jd but that's what it was right that's but just you- what it was that's that's where it comes from yeah, I, I remember people like, yo, you mess with Dilla. I'm like, you mean JD? Like, it's, it's just so funny how history changes everything. Um, yeah. Him and him and Calm, like, ended up becoming roommates and yeah, super duper close. So he just, was it just like a Midwest thing, the way y'all got along? Like, it seems like he just kind of fit in with your guys' energy. Yeah, and, and Calm, Calm was different, man. Calm would come to Detroit and stay for, you know, a week, two weeks at a time. And get him a hotel room and rent a car, and he, you know, have his own kind of lane. But he would, you know, he driving the dealer crib and pulling up, and you know, like early yeah. on, we would he would come in, we'd pick him up and that. But after a little while, he kind of got his groove, and he said, you know what, nah, I want to keep it as comfortable for everybody. So Dylan ain't got to come get me. I'll get a car and this, that, and the other. So Calm kind of came and entrenched himself in the D, and uh, and even that man, like. When they were recording like water for chocolate, like Kyle would come to the D and, and record, like obviously him and Dilla would be in the studio making beats, coming up with concepts, that type of thing. And then Kyle would do like scratch vocals in Detroit. And then they would go take everything to New York and mix at Electric Lady in, in New York. So uh, like Kyle got so deep, like Dilla would go out there and like for Dilla's level of comfort and just to make sure he was straight, Calm will call me the next day, Frank. Yo, just go to the airport. Your ticket to be there. Meet us in New York. I had a car bring you, and you come hang out. Because he did that to make sure Dilla was comfortable, to make sure he could move around and be, you know, common sense, the celebrity rapper guy. And Dilla could still be working and doing his thing and be comfortable. We can be smoking and doing whatever the hell we gonna do. So, uh, yeah. Now, Calm, you know, he extended himself. And made it so that their relationship grew to that. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then when they moved out here, you know, Dilla was battling his sickness, and Frank and Dank was in Canada. You get what I'm saying? And we were back and forth, but we were really mostly there. You know, entrenched and recording, touring, and doing all types of stuff there. And uh, so that's why all my Toronto friends love you. Yeah, man. We, like all, like like Cardinal is like one of my best friends. Oh, dope, dope, and, like, dope. He's that's, not even that's my, my guy, he's, man. Yeah, he's my brother. But like when I go to Toronto, they play a lot of your shit. Like when we do like throwback parties and like mm. just our own type of vibe. You know, I'm always like the New York guy. I'm always playing like New York album cuts and and college radio joints. Yeah. And when Cardi gets on, he plays shit from you all the he time. Plays, he plays shit like this right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah. Oh, 
It's Frank Nitty in the place to be With JD to the L-I-M-L-I-B So let me see you touch the sky And see you wave your hands up high Frank Oh, yeah. It's a crazy story to that song. It's a crazy story to that song. Well, go ahead. Yeah, we have a podcast where we love to tell crazy stories. So well, got, go on. I got so many that this is not going to, we can do that podcast too. I got a ton of them. But anyway, this record, right? When Mad Lib sent beats, we, me, Dank, and Dylan was in the studio listening to beats, right? And it was like, I don't know, 50 or 60 joints, right? So we just listening, smoking, listening. And check and like you know it's mad lib so it's banger after banger after banger after banger and throughout the session we all like you know different joints Woo, that's crazy or whatever the situation our reactions right so later on you know a few months in you know now the joints all the joints is good but you got to be the one to put the hump on your back right mm-hmm. now because we didn't smoke a bunch of blunts and your body didn't chill down you so nasty film came on and everybody was like okay word right but it wasn't like woo or jumping around or any of that it was just like yeah that's that's dope and like dilla like part of me and Dank called what we went through with dilla and, and coming up like trying to earn a spot to be able to be in the studio and one of the groups running amongst the crew and that we call it boot camp right because we had challenges and things we had to do as mcs to get better and like, so that's how we operated with with Dylan. That's how our relation, our music relationship was. Like, we never got to pick a beat from a CD or from one of his beat tapes. Everything he did for us, he made on the spot because mm-hmm. he wanted it fresh and it had to be a challenge for us. It had to be something. We didn't know what it was. We didn't have time to sit with it, make it work, right? So McNasty Phil was that because we didn't go, woo, that's it, that's easy type thing. Because we were just like, yeah, let's go, okay. He was like, no, nah, that's it. That's the song right there. Y'all got a right to that, right? And <laughs> and he taught me how to run the studio like way back in the day because he, he got tired of doing Frank and Dan vocals. So he said, Frank, you got to learn how to cut vocals, right? So he would make a beat and he would go upstairs and go do whatever, go to sleep, deal with his girl, whatever the situation he was going to do. And Frank would have to do the vocals so that the next morning he could mix them and we got a song to ride, right? <laughs> so McNasty Phil because we didn't we didn't give him the feeling that this would be an easy one right or this is one that's just gonna tell you what to say you ain't got to think about what to say this one is going to tell you what to do right Mm -hmm. he went upstairs i don't think he thought we was going to come with anything before he woke up the next morning we did all our vocals we did everything everything that you that that you hear from us we did that night all our vocals pieces right and then he had to come and fill it in. He didn't know he was going to finish the song. So by the time he came down in the morning with the blunt, hey, man, what y'all got? Y'all got some press play on the machine. And it was like a whole song laid out, basically. And he was just, like. Just pockets for him to right. jump in. Yeah, and actually, no, we had, because our, our sections was different. We had eight bar sections, right? He chopped them again to four bars to put his sections in. Got right? It. But this is the funny part. When he heard our song, he was like, oh, y'all came up with this? Oh, man. All right, y'all niggas got to go. Get y'all ass out of here, man. I got to do all this writing because of y'all. Now I got to sit down and write this song. <laughs> Studio session over. Y'all, y'all go to the hood. I'll get y'all later. <laughs> because, because he didn't expect us to have a whole song ready. Well, And he, right. I understand his logic, too, because when you hear that beat, if I was to hear just that instrumental, 
Yeah. I, I, it doesn't come naturally what you do on that. Like that's a right. weird and 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 it's it, it ended up working beautifully, but I get why he thought like, all right, good luck messing around with this. Y'all will figure it out at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he thought we was gonna get up in the morning and then he'll come and we'll all finish the song. But it was like all our cars was done. He, we none of, none of the, everything you hear from Frank and Dank on that record was already done. Wow. We didn't have to add anything. The ad libs, nothing. All that was done. Yo, how underrated is Dilla as a as a rapper? Like, I mean, you know, he, he's to me his pocket is so good. Like he's, oh. it's not that he's the illest lyricist it's, of all um, time, but he just knows how to rap. Like he just yeah. his pocket, his rap was another instrument. Yeah, right? you got to understand that part. Like, you know, uh, he he didn't see rappers as rappers. He didn't hear words from rappers. He heard a tone and a sound. Yeah, melodies and, and all that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's all about, like, the way he taught us was he, you don't fight the beat. You get what I'm mm. saying? Mm. And, yeah. And, and, and a lot of rappers fight the beat. Especially like lyricists. Yeah, lyricists. Yeah, lyricists, lyricists be really boxing with the beat. They be either ahead and of it or on top of it. You understand? So, real, a lot of real lyricists sometimes whack, they rhyme over whack beats, beats because the beat's not fighting. Yeah, they yeah. want to showcase, they want to showcase their vocals. So, yeah. nah, he taught us what you're saying is cool, but how you're saying it, where it fits within the yeah. melody of the song, where all these different, you got to flow within it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, uh, that's interesting. if you listen to Frank, like to a verse of mine, per per usual, it's going in and out as far as flows. Like I might be rapping in one cadence for two or three bars, four bars, and then switch the cadence because the beat kind of tells me the bass line switches up, like because I'm trying to fit in as an instrument as opposed to just mm. putting my vocals on top of whatever's here. You understand? Wow. So wow. like with that said, he approached lyricism in that way. But nah, Dilla was one of the, he's one of the illest lyricists. He don't get credit. And again, I'm speaking from an MC's point of view and technical skill and pocket is very heavy with me. Like, it's not all about what you say because what you can say could sound whack. You could say something really poignant that sounds oh, whack over the beat. What? I get you that. You know what I'm saying? Yes, that's, that's so, such a thing. So yeah, so now uh, it's, it's for us, it's all about blend. So our, our music is that. It's very feeling oriented. Even if we're talking about strip clubs and that it's all about the bounce. Like the strip club, yeah, the naked girls was great, but the vibe created the bounce that he needed for to make music. Mm, you know what I'm saying? Mm, like mm, there was a rhythm to this girl's ass shaking. It wasn't just, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't just a naked ass. ass. There you go. And but that but that that, that swing. <laughs> was where we yeah. was, you know what I'm saying? And a big old ass can't move fast like a little booty, it got a little sway, a little flop, it fit in the pocket, you feel what I'm saying? So that that was part of a strip club and him going to the strip club. Early on, of course, it was about seeing strippers and we was young guys, but we did it for years. It wasn't just a moment, that was a year. We almost bought a strip club. He, he almost bought our, our local strip club that we went to. Yo, um, if you were to play 
And like, there's a lot of other things I want to get to, but I realize we got to wrap in a few minutes. And guess okay. what? We could do this again next year. So we, yeah. we next year we can get into the specifics of Welcome to Detroit and, mm. and Fantastic Volume One and Two. There's mm. so many other places to go. But if you're talking to someone like Sife, who has an appreciation of Dilla, yeah. but doesn't up, have like up. the deep connection to catalog. Where yeah. where do you go? Someone says, "Yo, Frank, we want you to play a set of Dilla." Where are Great the first few records that you go to? You know what? Actually, it's a lot of remixes that that I feel like like he got a Janet Jackson remix and a brand new heavy. I know remix. that one. Yeah, I know that one. And um, it's a, a rare record where it's a couple of D'Angelo remixes on there and some Master A stuff. Where and I'm doing that to show the range of artists, you understand? Mm. And then obviously you got the Janet and brand new heavies and these are, you know, noted name people with names and legacies. And, and it would show how he did them as well. You understand? And then, you know, you got, you got, he got classics, you know, with Erica and Common and the Roots and all these different people. But I think the remixes with outside artists, the stuff he did with Jamiroquai and, and uh, I can't think of their name. It's a, uh, a pop group. I don't in, even think I know the, the He did. I don't even think I know he did a Jamaica. There's a there's a there's a Slum Village Jamaica remix. Uh, it's a joint. Uh, the name of the group is Nine Yards. It's an R and B group, a pop R and B group, kind of like some in syncish kind of thing, but a little more R and B from mm. the UK. Uh, it's a remix. Uh, I mean, a song he did with them called Find a Way. Uh, you know, he's he's done so many things that was outside the you know, outside the box as far as hip hop goes, uh, that I, I don't think a lot of people kind of focus on that because you focus on the big ones. But you know, he got records with like a an Asian kind of pop chick named Pole from way back in like 96, 97 type thing. You know what I'm saying? So I think I think the remixes in Rare Grooves is where I would go. You know what I'm saying? Is this it? Which one? Uh, yeah. 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 Some of it again. See, I would go. That's that '90s. That's that late '90s Dilla sound right there. Yeah, and then and then I think you know the average person who kind of just loves musical, listens to music, would hear Jamiroquai's vocals and it'd be familiar. And then I feel like you know it makes Dilla more familiar. Sife, you know what the joint is you play? Here's the song I want you to play, Sife. If you're in a situation where you meet yep. a a chick with a big old butt who's just trying to, fuck. <laughs> okay. And it's, yeah. it's rare that there's rap that you can play for that situation. I like I like what you're saying though. About to get nasty in his mouth. Come on, free sack. Get live. I do the ad libs on this record. You do the ad libs? Let's go. 
He would make me do his ad libs on a lot of things. This me right here. Yeah, I wanna all night. Let's do it. I wanna Clean it up. I wanna crush all night right now. Oh, I wanna crush all night. Crush in. 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 Crush Yeah, turn it up in your wet boy. Catch a glimpse of the fifth, turning up in the strip joints. Cause if you know what I know, my tricks stay high. He mentioned me in this rap, I think. Yo, why did why did he clean that song up? It was always funny to me that he says fuck in the song, but he edits it and then he mm -hmm. said clean it up and changes it to crush. But mm -hmm. the version on the rough draft record, it was edited. He had the little funky sound effects in. Do you know why he did that? Just just being different that he, he was like that like we got records that there's no clean versions of we have records that, that he didn't make an instrumental of it like the only version that he pressed he put out or gave to us was the original with the vocals like he was just like that man he was just he was weird he was a guy like he would have a say a 90 minute maxwell tape right and if it ain't for nobody it's for him it'll be blank in the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes and his beats would be in the middle of the tape because he didn't want people to be able to find him. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, like so there's plenty of times I got tapes and I would put it on, you know, right at the beginning of push play and say, well, wait a minute and go to the middle and find beats. Wow. Yo, well, listen, as we're recording this on Saturday, you have Dillafest tonight. What is tonight. that? What's included in that? What are you guys doing? Oh man, Dillafest Digital. It's like, um. It's it's part documentary, I think, like and, and part music. But so we got a ton of interviews from the likes of Robert Glasper, Terrence Martin, T3, Guilty Simpson, uh, Ant Fiddler, uh, Atheon Crockett. Uh, we got his mom, Illa J, uh, uh, J Rock, Rich Medina, uh, DJ Spinner, Pete Rock. It's just, it's just so many. We got so many interviews. And then we got a couple of live DJ sets uh, from DJ Repmatic. DJ Spinner gave us a set. Uh, and and just a lot of dope info about him and just like his impact on music from music guys. You get what I'm saying? Tune in on uh, Dillafest.com at uh, 6 p.m. West Coast time, 9 p.m. East Coast time. Uh, you know, it's about a two-hour little run. Again, wow, we got you a, don't a whole bunch. You of, don't uh, yeah. You don't shout out. You don't shout out the Detroit time. <laughs> wow, wow, son. It's the same thing. You changed, bro. Frank. Hey, you listen, changed, man. Frank. Listen, man. We got to do East West Coast, man. We got a lot of people in foreign <laughs> countries. <there. laughs> Detroit are used to figuring out what time that is. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. All right, so. Frank, thank you, man. Um, looking forward to checking that out tonight. Thank you for coming on. We, you really oh, did like we haven't gotten before. Oh, I appreciate y'all, yeah. man. Thank y'all for having me. It's early, but I'm about to smoke some more weed and, and enjoy my Saturday until it's Dillafest time. You know what it is. Yeah, thank you. And I could hear we didn't even fucking scratch the surface of the stories you could tell, man. Oh, so no, we'd love no. to have you back. And thank you so much, man. Oh, man. Anytime, bro. I appreciate y'all. You know, I'm... I'm a big, long-time fan of both you brothers, so it's all good, man. Anytime y'all... From years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You were a fan from years ago. Years ago, bro. Years ago. Years ago. So, uh, anytime y'all need a brother, man, holler at me. I'm here. Oh, man, thank you, Frank. Thank you, bro. All right, man. Y'all have a good one, man. Peace. Yo, big shout out to um, our guy, Frank Nitt. I like that, that guy. That, I, that was amazing. And here's the thing about it. Not even a... I guarantee there's so many more, so much more shit we could learn. No. So I much know, more. So, Seif, I didn't even want to talk about, like, the end and about, like, the different albums, the different labels, the, the common village years. Common told me... Common told me he used to spend nights there, like, just working on shit. Like, he told me a whole bunch... Because the thing is, I did... um I was at Dave Chappelle's house um, you know at, Chappelle? in Ohio for uh -huh. 4th of July, and... There was they canceled the fireworks show in his in his town, oh, so I he paid this. for his, he paid for his own. A half hour, forty five minute, whatever fireworks show, Questlove DJing, playing all unreleased Dilla shit. It was fucking a beautiful moment for America. It was a Yo, beautiful that's amazing. moment. And, and his and, unreleased beats are they're probably what you would like the most of his playing stuff. playing Questlove DJing unreleased beats. Common and Eric Badu telling uh, uh, Dilla stories. It was it was fucking awesome. Well, hold on. Don't suck your own cock too much, okay? Because guess what? Let's keep it moving. Mm -hmm. We got dead prez. What? Let's talk pun. It's a big day, ladies and gentlemen. Juan Epp is dead. And you know it's weird because we've done a lot of podcasts about dead people. And I hate saying Juan Epp is dead on this day. You have to like keep reminding people it's a De La Soul reference. It's not, we're yeah. not dead. Yeah. But um, what I, I've told you this before many times. You know, we've been doing this podcast since years ago. Years ago. And Dead Prez is one of my favorite groups. Maybe... I'm sorry, M1. M1 is here from Dead Prez. <laughs> what I'm are you sorry. about to say? I'm just saying Outcast, just literally like a little bit more. That's, you all, know what I mean? All good. Oh, you all can take good. that one. M1 I can love Outcast. <laughs> if there was no Outcast, Dead Prez favorite group. Nope. Um, nope. I, I'll take yeah. that any day. Constellation Prize, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Silver you, medal to you, Outcast? You, That's a good one. Oh, shit. <laughs> What? Not good. Can you guys hold on one second? What happened? Oh, he's gonna put on his. He's gonna put on Dead Prez clothes. <laughs> yes, yeah, stunt for him. Stunt for him. I, I never got these. I'm tight. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't have a Cypher Sounds uh, jacket, T-shirt, hat, something. <laughs> a, a, a Rosenberg I'm wristband. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Oh, Cypher, you put your, you got you got your gear on now. Oh. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> he came oh. RBG now. Yes, that's it's actually this is actually the first time I'm wearing this, and it's kind of like I didn't break it in yet. It's kind of like right out the package. People don't know those can be. They don't. They don't give too much because it's heavy embroidery. It doesn't. You can't tell if you don't have it. But the thing is so embroidered the fuck up that it's, you can't. It, it don't. It, it there's don't no stretch. give. You're right. There's no give on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All day. Thank this you. This is that the dead press. Supreme, Supreme collabo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I tell you, uh, I saw this was coming out. You know, I bought every piece from this collab. Wow. So if you bought wow. every piece in the collection, how many pieces was that, M1? Could have been 10, I think. There was like a bandana. There was a... a, a Look, a, I still a, got the tag on it. Boom. Quilted jacket, I see. <laughs> I can't wait to tell Wes. Uh, yeah, we did the... 
the pants and the top to go with that. There was a. Oh, I didn't suit. get the pants. I didn't yeah, get the pants. Yeah. I got you're a sellout. All... You're a sellout. <laughs> okay, first of all, let's let's. This is why I asked you to be here. You know, today or not today, but we're doing this podcast in remembrance of a weird day in hip hop to us, which is the day Big Pun passed away. Is mm-hmm. also the same day of Dilla's birthday. Wow. So, just in a hip hop essence, two of the greatest ever, uh, both have passed and moved on to the next realm. But that day being the same day is, is weird in hip hop. And the reason why I asked you to do this is because no one would ever even, when you talk about Big Pun, you want to talk to Fat Joe, you want to talk to Remy, you want to talk to Cuban, the Terror Squad. Yes, we've done all that already. Right. There's an interlude on Pun's album. That is so left field. I mean, Scythe, when I tell you what the first time happening? I heard that, I was <laughs> the old, and the it's old, like you're like they're on the same label. Okay, I know same they're both label. Loud, okay, but he's teaching him to sing, and it it sounds like this authentic <laughs> moment. Like it, you're right, Scythe. It's completely baffling as a listener at the time, and <laughs> it's 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 like it's like this. Like he's like. Oh, I, I want to sing. And you're like, go ahead, sing. Like, right, right. break down that whole moment to us, please. Because then I'm waiting for the beat and the song to, to the verses to no, come. No, just wait. It never for, comes. No, just rain and thunder. And then the next song. No so, dead press feature. I'm waiting for the raps. Right. Okay. So, boom. All right. First of all, I have to preempt what you're saying because wow on the moment of Pun's death, yeah. death and, and Dilla's breath. Wow. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can make that's akin to that is December 4th, which is the day Fred Hampton uh, Sr. was murdered. Judas and the Black Messiah, if anybody know about the movie, go yeah. see it. It's about that guy and the day Jay-Z was born. Yeah. Um, so we, so th- that's my only prior correlation to anything that, that yeah. amazing happening, uh, lightning striking. And with that being said, brothers, I, can, I couldn't explain it to you either. Look, right. we <laughs> we we both had come from the studio um, previously. Like we both. were working in a, a, a who's a, both some, you and Stick or me, you and Pun? No, me me and uh, well, Dad Prez, me and me and Stick, and okay. and then and then and then Pun. Um, oh, Stick is oh, here. Stick is here. I got saw that. Yeah, good. Yeah, you let, bring him in. Yeah, let's stick in. Well, sorry to interrupt your story. Wow, this is crazy. I'm excited. I'm yeah. excited about this. <laughs> I didn't oh, think we'd we get, get to both. the story. We're gonna get to the story. Okay. He's connecting to audio. Where is Stick, by the way? M1. He'll tell you. I, I, Atlanta, I believe. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to assume anything, but he's my busy. bro lives in Atlanta. I know, I know he's probably in the gym somewhere or somewhere in a mountaintop <laughs> doing pull ups. One, two, one, two, one, two. What to do? Yeah. People's yeah. Army. <laughs> All right. Oh, what up, MA? So much. What, what's good, bro? How you, man? Hanging, hanging. All right. Thank you for being here. Um, I'll tell you the whole thing in a minute, but really, we were talking about, you know, we're celebrating uh, Big Pun and Dilla today. Hmm. And that the, the interlude on the Pun album is a phenomenal piece of work that we're trying to figure out how it even happened. Em is just about to tell a story. You jump in when you need to. Go ahead, Em. All right, Em, set it off. Oh no. Okay, so stick. They asked how it happened, and I and I and my first answer to that was I don't know. 
So this is uh, <laughs> this. The, we we were coming from the studio previously. We we were we had been working many dead prayers on our album, and uh, the artists on loud on their albums. We mm. knew Pun was working, as per Matt. Uh, you know Matt Scott. I knew and, I knew the story was them. I knew they'd have to have a part in it. But okay, keep going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we just know that the artists that are akin to us on the label, we they keep us abreast on what's happening, and, it, and it's healthy because we like loving to hear the new fly shit that, that's coming uh -huh. out out of the label. And the, and of course, the nervous center of loud at that point is is the yeah. is the label. They had they had a listening room. And everybody, a lot of people have heard about Loud Records listening room, where you know we smoked a lot and exchanged a lot of great ideas. Well, boom! Long story short, here we go after a long night session, and uh, and and we're in the listening room, and in comes Pun, and probably like everybody else, I, I don't a whole terror squad, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and we and 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 uh, Pun got a Pun got bangers. I don't even know he got bangers. He he sit down on the couch he takes up half the couch we sitting everywhere else and he's playing bangers and then he asks off his off his off, off his new shit. Yeah. Or, or, or or everything is the features you know we just right, right, playing right. you know anything you know and yeah. and he's like yo what what y'all got you know what what y'all been working on and um stick he we always kept these cassettes like you know what i'm saying from the previous days and it was like uh this was like you know, it was a dat then, right? Remember, remember the little a dat machine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, long story short, put we stick. We just been working on it, and I don't know because stick is not the kind to share with a lot of people. Shit, and he produced this track, so he'll tell you about how it all happened and all that. But literally, we put the shit on, and when it came on, he immediately. Fell in love with it. There, there was. I, I he felt a mood. I, it's almost like this meditative mood came over him. Like yeah. you saw, so like ha so has everyone away. else ever who's heard that? <laughs> That's a great point. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then he and then he like like I don't know. And even like to us, we were like, well, what do you want to do with with the song? Because at that point, it was stick singing a a, a piece that he had. Uh, in a, on a natural loop, and it was right. like he wrote it, it was already written, you know. And, um, and it was and he loved technically, it. technically, you were playing your song, it was a dead press song uh, to be, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was like you know, in the creative, you know, like if you got some shit you're working on in a workshop, that's not for the, for the showcase, you know right. what I mean? It's, yeah, it's like we just trying stuff out. And I and and actually we was it was a few different songs on that on that ADAT, right? And me and Eminem, we used to be in that room, and that 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 ADAT was playing when Pun came in. And we it was just in the background type shit, right? And then if I remember, because it was that's a lot of blunts ago, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> a lot of blunts, but, blunts ago. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but but I think as however it happened, like it just came on. And I jumped up to be like, yo, let me cut that shit off. I'm I'm on there half singing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, want yeah, that yeah. shit to play. And then right. and then but and then Pum was like, nah, don't, you know, don't don't turn it off. And 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 you know, like M said, he he just he was feeling the vibe of it. 
And I was halfway embarrassed because, like I said, it was just a sketch. And, it's just um, an idea, yeah. Which is, it's by just, the way, ironic that yeah. you felt embarrassed because the whole skit is about Pun being embarrassed to sing on the song. Right. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. fact, I gave it. So right on the spot, Pun was like, I'll buy that from you right now and pulled out money. Like he pulled out a lot of money, right? And we made a we made a verbal a verbal agreement right in that moment. And I'm gonna tell you how raw it is what you getting, right? The shit was so, um, such a, just a scratch sketch that as it is with my vocals, unmixed, whatever, that's what we gave Punt. And he wow. sung on top of it and had the engineers, you know, bring out the best of, of the sound, but it wasn't like we tracked it out or nothing like that. He, he no. just took it right off how it was. So Man, it's, it, 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 you're not going to find a story of this. <laughs> I don't even know what it's called. Interlude song anywhere else. But did okay? you, did you, did you, um, did you guys ad lib and make up the conversation on the song? No, he Nothing. did. Pun, pun did all of that. Like, you know what I mean? He, he, he bought it. We gave it to him as is. And, and I told him like, I don't, I can't track it out. I don't even know if I know where the, where the disc was or nothing. Right. You know what I mean? And, um, he was like, nah, 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 nah. And then when we heard it, when it probably mad or, or Scott or somebody played us like before it dropped, drop. But then we had heard how he how he was hearing it, right? And 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 you know they, you know go ahead and sing, man. Uh, use your voice, you know, blah, all that. That was punt. Like we didn't. We didn't so have who's then? So that. who's then talking in that part with them when he's going back and forth? That's uh, you have from Terror Squad, I think. Um, wow. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sife, you thought it was them, right? Yeah, of course I thought it was you. Because it says nah, you're dead press. Nah. We, we on the beat and on the uh, singing and, the, and on the, and the, the singing and the vibe. Wow. It's a vibe. It's a and vibe. Emma's on there too. Emma's singing the lows. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a vibe. I'm gonna tell you something. Wow. I, that 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 song to me represents, and I and I struggle to this day to understand like how what he was connecting with, but I do think like. There's a vulnerability to pun that a lot of people didn't know. Right. Yeah. And to me, he was giving that a, a glimpse of that. Yes. And like I think yes. I for some reason it was important for him to show that. And and it blew me away to even think that he wanted to show that. You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. I, I love that guy, man. Pun, I mean, I love pun, that guy. pun was a tough guy, man. But yeah. funny, like the, the thing I love yeah. about Pun the most, me, especially now that I'm a comedian, how funny he was. You know what I'm saying? Oh, right. Like he yeah. was. He took care of a lot of people. He was giving. I mean, probably to a fault. Uh, I went to Pun's house once, and there was like five cars and motorcycles all parked on the sidewalk. All had stacks of parking tickets. <laughs> he didn't care. And uh, and but there was a lot of sides of Pun you didn't know because if you listen to the music, like you were either gonna, you were either gonna get killed. Or yep. he was gonna run a train on your girl, which is both that's right. Well, that, that's but, but to me, like not to go too deep, but he's my favorite MC of all time, and right. to me, what I think is become cool about the pun existence in hip hop is that he's one of the only greats where we are now honest about his shortcomings and complexities mm. as a person. You know, mm. his wife and son have That's spoken right. about his abuse also. <laughs> that, and that's right. and they and that they still love him. 
but of that course. they they went through pain with him. Like Progress. his picture is actually full and complete that people are not one thing. People are very right. complex individuals. And obviously from the way Pun passed, we know he struggled with addiction. Like this food thing right. was a real thing. These were all oh. so he's just a he's just a complicated yeah. dude with a lot of pieces. I'm so glad you said that though, man. It's it's so important to just see us in our whole self. And, and acknowledge how we impact others positively and negatively, you know what yeah. I mean? But that's yeah. the thing, that's the thing, that's, I mean, I don't want to get into a whole thing about it, but that's the thing about like, someone like Pun, like they say, you know, he, he was a little abusive to his children and maybe even his wife, but like, they people think that if your dad hits you, you're just gonna hate your dad for the rest of your life. You still love your dad. That's right. You know what I'm saying? He got probably, everyone has problems. And That's like, right. you know, the, depending on the level of it and who you are, but like people sometimes judge you for still loving your father because he was abusive when you were a kid. It's like, right. it's my father. Right. Right. Well, and, and Chris and Liza complex. and their family, they still love pun, but they yeah. also were brave in kind of telling the whole story because when, when you idolize, I mean, listen, to me, he's the greatest. When he's going, there's no one better who's ever done it. And right. they you don't have to wipe away someone's story or only focus on the bad part of the story. Like you mm-hmm. can take the whole thing and say yeah. flawed yeah. human being, amazing man all together. It can all, you know, be there. Did you guys have, um, did the relationship go beyond that day? Like were y'all on showcases together? Yeah, did you I see each other at loud? Where was the relationship? Yeah. Yo, we, 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 we had so many great moments. Um, you know, I'm tell you something. Well, there was a tour that we went on early. Uh, I remember all of Terror Squad and, and Eminem was on early. I want to say it's the Lyricist Lounge tour. And uh, man, like state by state, I remember Ohio the most. Um, as as much respect and soldier salutism as they had inner inner Terror Squad, and and you know, they would let loose just as hard. You know, literally tear rock and roll style, the whole mm-hmm. <laughs> hotel room apart, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, I, I also just remember, uh, you know, I remember the, the Bronx pun, um, but even still, uh, the part that sticks with me the most is having a relationship with him uh, coping with his addiction. Um, he, 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 uh, he went to to uh, programs and some of those programs he went to was in was in my hometown Raleigh North Carolina yeah he went to, he went and down like, to Duke right yeah yeah exactly you know and uh, it was crazy really because because I was able to see him there too oh and you visited it was him like, there yeah yeah you know at the, it, it was my hometown so I, I so when I went there I was able to make connection but to see him go in the studios there and what he was you know. You know, it it was it was yeah it was it was a real moment. I saw the whole pun and and um, this is this is food addiction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. and he yeah, went food. to a facility to help him with that. Remember when he, when yeah. he says I lost a hundred pounds? Yeah. I'm trying to yeah. live. He had just lost a hundred pounds. Right. Just like yeah. that, and he was gone that quick, like right after that. I you know, know that's saying? the what that's the craziest shit about yeah. that verse that yeah. he died right. Yeah. I mean, he might have recorded it once oh, before. Wow. Oh, yeah. But us hearing it and then he passed. Yeah, I, I yeah. struggle with food addiction myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stick, yeah. I want to have a conversation with you offline. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got my workout on. Uh-oh. Nah, son, we need it right now. I need it in public. <laughs> uh oh. But yeah, so and, and and obviously he was a fan of yours. Um, label mates, you know, create a, a a cool camaraderie, but it's more about with pun. I'm sure is more about the music and stuff. Yo, you know the the thing um you guys were saying about puns. Let's say you know the balances, the different sides, right? I think that's what the, what he felt in that song, you know, because yeah. the, the song was like, you know, even though the rain keep coming down, right? I know the sun ain't gonna wash away, you know. That was that was it, I think that's what we had in common the mm. most that that, it, that all sides of us we gonna give it to you raw. You know? I, I I don't I'm joking. We joke around a lot on here, obviously, but yo, the 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 pun. The, that pun album is so classic, but then the pack in the Mac in the back of the act is one of the funniest <laughs> interludes in hip hop ever. Mm-hmm. And then the shit you have is like, every time <laughs> I listen, I listened to it before we recorded this, just so I could have it fresh in my mind. I still thought that was you talking on that. That shit, every time I hear it, I get chills. Like, wow. that shit is from what, 98? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. 2021 and I still get the same chills. It's a fucking beautiful piece of art, man. And I just thank y'all for just We need to revamp that, man. It may yeah. like I was, yeah. bring, bring that song to, to uh, That would be tight. Before yeah. you came yeah. on, I said, I always wish the beat would drop and y'all did a song to it and it never happened. See? I Yo, Stick, you- got, Stick got a version. I remember rocking to the studio out, out with it. He got, he got, he had drums to that shit. He just Don't do that. had made so many uh, I, iterations of it, the the what we was listening to didn't. But I no. stick. I know. I know he with that producer right there. He had some great, amazing vibes to that. I don't. don't I, I can't even. Um, don't do this, M. Don't do this because now my life mission <laughs> is to find those versions. So, <laughs> well, like, talk to him. Like now we have to. <laughs> where's the tape? Where's the tape? M would have it. <laughs> Trust me. Would have it. Where Where are you at, Stick? I'm in the A. Okay, you in Atlanta, you in Miami. Yeah. I'll be joining both of y'all soon to find yeah. dig through old dat tapes. Yo, okay, so hold on. M1 and Stickman, hang tight for one sec. We're going to wrap this episode. Saif, here's what I think we do. I think we wrap this Pundilla Spectacular. Thank you. And then we come back with a full Dead Prez episode about their career. How about okay. that? I love that, and I I didn't get to tell my story of how Pun tried to be pull pull me into a Trisnane once, but I'll we'll do that another time. Well, and didn't he also pull a gun on you once? He did. Okay, so we'll save he that did. for another day. Um, we love and appreciate you guys. Please go rate, comment, subscribe, do all those things you can. To, mm-hmm. if, you know, listen. If you could Patreon, amazing. Yeah. If all you can do is rate, comment, spread the word, that's amazing too. We and appreciate all. I'm that. loving all the fan artwork. Uh, the one app clothing for the culture is coming soon. soon and coming. and please, I don't, no disrespect to you guys listening, watching, whatever. I don't feel there's enough disrespect towards Billy June. Let's get that ramped up. You know what? Let's it's ramp a, that up. It's a great point. Whether he got a haircut or not, he deserves all yeah. the disrespect. Let's ramp the hate towards Billy June up. Like, what are we doing? Wait, Saif, you know what, though? There's only one way to end this episode. And I know what it is. Yes, I'm so smart. You're a smart guy. This is the only way that we could end it.
Catch you guys next time. R.I.P. Punandilla. Apparently that's not dead press. No, now that I'm now that I'm now hearing realize it. it's not them. It's got to be Tony. It's got to be Tony. You think it's Tony? Tony. Right there. Right there. I needed the verse. Right there. Wait, but you know what he says there? Good looking props. It's pro is it prospect? Oh, is it prospect? He says good looking props. I thought it was Listen. Tony. Oh, no. Listen. We'll get the answer for you guys by next week. Get, just to be clear here, okay? Okay. Hey, go fuck yourself. <laughs>